Wow, amen. You guys got socks on? Because my socks just got blown off. That was amazing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> awesome, awesome. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for just the, to, the privilege to be in your presence this morning, to be able to worship you openly, freely, God. Thank you for the sense that you love us and you accept us right where we are today. Lord, there are some who came today and we're just a mess. We're just a mess. Lord, some came today full of joy, full of life. Some came really sad, really upset, and they need your hope, and they need your, they need your healing. They need so many things, God. But Lord, no matter who we are, how we came, we came into your presence today, and you see each one where we are, and you know how to touch each and every one of our hearts right where we are, Lord, and give us what we need today. So we are grateful for the presence of Jesus. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the word today. Today I'm going to start looking <clears throat> at what makes a winning church. What is a winning church? And, 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 and what does that look like? What, it, what does it take to be a winning church? And as with anything on any team, sport or um, Business, no matter what you have, you, you need to know the goal, right? You got to know what's the goal. If you're going to win, you need to know what the goal is. If this was a shoe factory, what would our goal be? Making shoes, right? That's our goal. Our goal is to make shoes. But what if, uh, what if um, Sandy thinks our goal is to make tennis rackets? And Olivia thinks our goal is to make bats to hit people or to hit things hit balls and Casey is absolutely convinced our goal is of course to make donuts how successful could we be or if this was a sports team right and 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 you think you think we're playing baseball and the other person thinks we're playing soccer but really we're playing football do you see if there's a problem if for a team to win, if for, for a group of people to win, for a church to win, for people to win, we have to know what is our goal? What is our aim? What are we after? Um, and, and so Jesus gave us the goal that we'll win as a church. He gave us the goal of a winning church. Welcome. <laughs> I don't think that was supposed to happen. <laughs> Whoop, where are we? Okay, here we go. Here's our goal of a winning church. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We had the privilege, by the way, yesterday of, of seeing baptism. We got to baptize Tim and Sue, who own the Chinese restaurant here, the, the China Walk. We got to see them, precious, precious, precious children of God. And, um, and then, um, let's see who, and then Charlie, got, got, Charlie came down and got baptized. We got to see that happen. That was really cool. And so that's what it's about. That's winning. That's winning. 
when you make disciples, when you see people baptized. So first of all, the winning church is, it's, it's missional. The winning church is a missional church. What that means is we follow the Great Commission. And what we read from Scripture is called the Great Commission. It's the great commandment of Jesus Christ. Jesus said he commanded, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, who is he talking to? Was this a pastor's conference or a missionary conference? No, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking, he's talking to all of us. <clears throat> he's talking to the church. He's talking to every born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Touch your neighbor and say, he was talking to you. Come on, tell him, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. Jesus commanded each one of us, go and make. And make what? What are we to make? Disciples. We're making disciples. We're not making church attenders. We're not to make spectators, not seat warmers. No, he said, go and make disciples. Go and make people who are sold out for Jesus, people that are committed. The word disciple comes from the word discipline. People who are disciplined followers of Jesus Christ. People who are all in it to win it, right? We are to go and bring people into the kingdom of God. So our, a missional church understands this. A missional church understands that Jesus wants disciples. You know why? Because he wants people. He wants relationships with people that are deep, that are rich, that are good. Come on, how many of you parents, you want relationship with your kids, right? Do you, want to just, do you want to just have a casual, high-bye relationship with your family? Don't you want intimate relationship with your family? Don't you want to know your children? <clears throat> Don't you want your children to know you? Don't you want them to want to be at your house and hang out with you, right? Well, it depends on how, <laughs> depends on how long your kids have been out of the house. <laughs> but, but basically, you, you like, hopefully you still like your children. That's good. To like them. And that's our goal. Jesus wants people that he, that he loves, that he, that he connects to. And on the back of your bulletin tells you what our mission is as a church. We are to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus, the hope found in the gospel. We are taking the hope found in Jesus to our community to our, and around the world. And a missional church understands this. That that's our goal. So much so that he said, go to the highways and the byways. Fill the place up. If there's still room, go find more people. Because he's hungry for people. He's hungry for souls. We believe, see, we believe, and the scripture declares that the only hope for you in this world, the only hope for your marriage, the only hope for your family, the only hope for restoration, the only hope for freedom, the only hope of sanity is found in Jesus Christ. And the only hope of eternal life in heaven is with Jesus Christ. The only hope that you have of not spending a Christless eternity for, et for all eternity is Jesus. That is the hope. And if you're visiting here today, and if you're not a Christian, and Jesus wants you, you're his passion. You're his desire. You're the reason he came. You're the reason he suffered. You're the reason he died. And if you were the only person on earth, he would have done it again all over for you. 
because he cares about you that much. He loves you that much. You are precious to him. You are his passion and you are his mission and you are his purpose and therefore you are ours. We exist as a church because of you, because we want you to know the hope found in Jesus, because that's what we have found. And it is so life-changing. It is so life-giving. It is so transformational that I can't sit on this thing. I got to tell you about it. And if you're here today and you don't know about it, you tap the person next to you and they're going to tell you about it because we, got, we tapped into something that is amazing. And you got to have it. You just got to have it. And so this church's contacts, all of our contacts, all of our conversations that we have in our community is to draw those into our circle of friends. We, everything we do, we plan events for outreach, regardless of safety, regardless of liability, and regardless of finances, because you are worth it, and souls are worth it, people are worth it, because that's what Jesus died for. And so the winning church's first step is to build relationships with people so that we can share the hope found in Christ. The second step is to baptize them, to bring them into a committed relationship with Jesus, that they're sold out for him, and they confirm that publicly through, through baptism. And they, we bring them into their identity um, in God, who they are as part of God's family. And thirdly, we teach them. We teach them the word of God, but we also teach them to experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We teach them the baptism of the Holy Spirit so they can enter into the fullness of Jesus Christ. And everything this word says you can have, you can have it all. Everything in this Bible is still for today. And we want to make sure everybody knows that. We want you to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can learn to be intimate with Jesus. And you experience the full abundant life that Jesus offers. Listen to me, church. I desire to be a missional church. I don't want us to be a church. I don't want us just to be a church that maintains status quo. I don't want to be a church where we're inward focused and we only care about who's here. We only care about making every, each other feel comfortable and making each other feel cozy and happy and nice. All that is good, but my heart, my passion, and I believe our passion as a church, I believe your passion is people out there. They need Jesus. And that's a winning church, a winning church that's committed to the great commission of Jesus Christ. We need to cry out to the Lord, God, give us souls. Let him burden us with the burdens of his heart to have a passion for what he has a passion for, and that is souls. That is a passion for our community and a burden to engage them at all costs. And a missional church, by the way, is far more concerned about those who are not here than those who are already here and going to heaven. A missional church are more focused on the lost who are headed to a Christless eternity rather than entertaining the believers who are already going to heaven. That's my heart. That's my passion. I'm new here, and a lot of, you, a lot of people have asked me, what is your vision? It starts here, guys. You want to know who I am and what my heart is? I'm telling you right now. Don't ever be able to say, I don't know what his vision is. I don't know what his heart is. I'm going to spell it out for you in the next few weeks. This is my heart. I've, I'm a heart for people. I want to see us be a missional church, that we are reaching out, that we're going after the lost at any cost. 
We know we said last week that, that our desire to cross over, um, our fear of, of doing nothing has to be greater than our fear of doing something. And I know there's risk. It's risky to reach out. It's risky to do these things. But we have to fear doing nothing more than we fear doing something. So a winning church is a missional church. And I'm going to talk more practical ways of doing this in the weeks to come. How can you as an individual be missional? How can you as an individual see people come to Christ? I'm going to give you some tools, give you some ideas uh, to do these things in some practical ways. So first of all, we are a missional church. And secondly, we are a church that is relevant. The winning church is a relevant church. Now, here's what I do not mean by relevant. I do not mean compromising. I do not mean that we water down the gospel. I do not mean that we don't preach against sin and the dangers of sin and rebellion. We do not water down the truth of the word of God. I don't mean that we, we accept sinful practices and lifestyles because they're popular and acceptable today. This is my standard. This is the standard of this church. And if it's not in this word, it's not going to fly. If the word is against it, we're against it. And if the word is for it, we're for it. The word is for healing. The word is for signs and wonders and miracles. Guess what we're for? Yeah, that's right, because it's in the word. So we do what the word says, right? So what I mean by being, um, by being relevant is that while our message doesn't change, our methods do change. How we approach changes these kind of things. How we're going to communicate has to change. Tell your neighbor the message doesn't change, but the methods do. The message doesn't change, but the methods do. I gave an illustration several weeks ago. I used Adam helped me out a little bit with that. Talked about the difference between how I'm going to communicate love to Liam. You guys remember that? And how I communicate to Adam, right? You guys remember that I, you know, how I talk to Liam is like baby talk. And so I brought Adam up here and sat on my lap and talked in the same way. You thought it was pretty funny, huh? And weird and bizarre. And so, our, so although the message doesn't change, the method has to change. How I'm communicating has to look different. The Apostle Paul preached the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. He preached, and as he preached them, he had to, he, he do, he had to adapt himself to Gentile culture. The, the language of the writings of Paul looks different than the book of Peter when you study it, right? It looks a little different, a little bit of an emphasis different. The message is the same, but the emphasis is a little different because Paul is reaching a different culture. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 through 23. He says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not, uh, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. <clears throat> and to the weak, let me see here, sorry. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul said, I'll do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes. 
I will adapt to whatever I need to adapt to. Whatever culture it is that I need to adapt to, whatever, however I need to be to win you to Christ, I'm going to do it. I'll do whatever it takes. Now, what Paul did not do is Paul did not compromise the truth of the gospel to become all things to all men. Paul did not <clears throat> practice paganism to reach the pagans. He did not um, go visit the temple prostitutes. He didn't use foul language. <clears throat> but he adopted, and he adapted to the culture of the people he was trying to reach. Just like how when I would communicate to Liam, I'm going to address him differently than when I'm dealing with Adam and, and addressing Adam and trying to reach Adam. He adopts the culture of the people he's trying to reach. Now, how Paul communicated the Jews did not look the same as when he communicated it with the Greeks. So here's the deal. A church that's relevant, we understand this. We understand that culture has changed in the last generation. In fact, what we really need to understand, here's what you really need to understand. Our culture changes really fast today. And actually, at least every 10 years, culture has a major transformation, a major difference, major shift every 10 years. Here's what that means. If you're 30, you're going to have a culture gap with someone who's 20. And if you're 40, you're two cultures away. If you're 50, you're three cultures away. If you're 60, four cultures away. So the style of music has changed. The mindset changed. The words used changed in just 10 years. And if we're not working at it, we can get left behind. So a church that isn't relevant, you, what happens is we stay comfortable with what we know. We stay comfortable with my culture. The people that are like me and dress like me, and look like me, and talk like me, the people I can relate to. And within 10 years, you're not going to relate to the society around you. So there's churches that lose total touch with reality, actually. Total touch with the society, total touch with what are their needs, what are they going through, what, what would reach them, what would touch their heart. And Paul was very, very careful to say, I want to go and reach these people so much so that I will try to figure out what is it that will touch their heart? What is it that, that what's the key? Because it's changing. Every 10 years, it's going to change. And then we spiritualize it, see? So a church becomes us for and no more because we lose touch, we lose reality, and we shrink down to nothing. To us four and no more. And so we spiritualize it all. And we try to say, well, you know, it's all, it, it, it's all godly. It's all ungodly and blah, blah, blah. And we pretend like what I like is more godly than what you like. <laughs> we do this. Christians do this. My style is more godly than your style. It's not. It's just different. It's just totally different. It has nothing to do with godly or ungodly. There's a lot of things in society that are not godly or ungodly. They're just neutral things. They're just a matter of taste and preferences. That's all they are. And a winning church can adapt and stay relevant as possible to people. And so we just remove all those barriers because the church, see, the church has lost generations of people over silly, silly things. 
silly things like women can't wear, have to wear dresses to church. And so because, you know, next society comes in and they don't, women don't wear dresses anymore. That's not a common thing for women to wear a bunch of dresses anymore. Things changed. The church forgot about that, didn't pay attention and made these rules. Y'all got to wear a dress to church. So everyone stops coming to church because it's weird now. And it doesn't take long to get there. It doesn't take long to get there. And I know some of y'all, and please hear me, I'm not, meaning, I'm, not gonna, I'm not meaning to offend anyone by saying this. I love hymns too, some of them. Some of them are silly. There are some silly hymns out there. And they became silly because they're just, they don't mean anything anyway, anymore. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Are you kidding me? I do too. It's one of my favorite hymns, actually. But what does it mean? And some of us who even like it couldn't even tell you what it means. I don't know, but it's good. It's good. And we forgot to catch the next generation up. We forgot. We forgot that, that since 1600, things have changed. And sometimes the church forgets that. And we, so we, you see, we just graduate, we lose touch with things. We lose touch with people. And we try to say, well, if you don't sing about here, if, if you don't sing about my Nebenezer, then you're not godly. <laughs> and we make these rules up. Well, if you don't wear dress to church, then you're not a godly woman. If you don't wear a suit to church, you're not godly. The problem is when that rule was you wear a suit to church, when that rule was made, Everybody wore a suit to the store. Men dressed up and wore a suit and tie to go to work every day. So why would you not do it at church? It didn't make sense. It was relevant at the time. Now it's not relevant anymore. And we easily, quickly lose our purpose. We lose our relevancy. And we lose our message. And we lose, we lose our power. We lose our impact. And we're no longer connecting with people the way the Father God wants to connect with people. We lose it so quickly and so easily. And so a winning church removes the barriers in any way that we can within reason. There are droves of people out there who were pushed, pushed out or they were hurt by the church over silly things because the church couldn't adapt and the church couldn't change. And if that's you, I am sorry. I just want to say that really sincerely. I'm sorry that that happened. That's too bad. And some of you, hopefully, maybe you're here today and you've just made your way back into the church again after some people just put some weird things on you and you were pushed out and you were shoved out. I'm so sorry that happened. Paul's passion and his reason for going was souls at any cost, and do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Winning church, this is the most important one I want to declare to you today. The winning church is a spirit-sensitive church. Winning church is a spirit-sensitive church. I'm going to spend a lot more time on this point in the weeks to come today. I'm just laying, a, saying, laying some groundwork for us let me just tell you, the church in America today has suffered for decades under this church growth movement. We've suffered, suffered for decades under this thing. And their key phrase that you'll hear 
is this, this it's been hammered, this phrase, seeker-sensitive. Seeker-sensitive. What it really means, what, what, it's really, what it really basically means that, you know, they're saying if you really want to be relevant, you're going to reach people, then, you know, don't let the Holy Spirit out. People shouldn't express things of the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about signs and wonders and miracles because you'll scare the visitors off. We don't let people pray in the Holy Spirit. You'll scare the visitors away. And so we relegate all that to this back, back room somewhere. And so I, I, it's just really important to me that you understand that when I'm talking about being relevant, when I'm talking about being missional, it has nothing. It's just the opposite of that. It's not being seeker-sensitive. It's being spirit-sensitive. I'm not so concerned what the visitors are feeling as I'm, and, and the visitors are comfortable. I'm more concerned by the Holy Spirit being comfortable in this church, by the Holy Spirit being welcome. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit, he'll jump over whatever boundary. He'll jump over whatever barrier. He'll jump over whatever cultural barrier, whatever age barrier. He'll jump through it all. He doesn't care. He'll go right over it with his power and knock you out with the power of God. That's what I want to see, huh? Cut a lot of corners out. Just go right for the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. If Jesus is at home, the visitors are going to be at home too. So the winning church is concerned about reaching out. They're concerned about reaching on who's not here, but they also focus on the presence of the Lord. It's not either or, it's both and. It's both. And Jesus said in John, John chapter 12, verse 32, he said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When Jesus shows up and Jesus manifests himself, he will automatically draw people. If we want to draw a crowd as a church, if you want to fill this place up, you let Jesus go. And Jesus will do it. Because Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus will build my, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But if you look around in America, there's more churches closing every week than opening every week in this country. And we've been following this, this wretched model for decades of this seeker-sensitive, consumeristic garbage. And it's just killing us. It's killing the church in America. If you want to draw a crowd, the best place to do it, the best way to do it, is let Jesus draw them. So let Jesus show up and be Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit show up and be the Holy Spirit and get out of his way. Let him do what he wants to do. You better worry about attracting the presence of Jesus rather than attracting people. Because if you attract Jesus, you attract people. You see how that works. <laughs> That's his word. That's his word to us. The Bible tells us, you know, even though our culture is telling you one thing, the culture tells you, you know, don't, don't do all this stuff. Don't let people do these things in, in public services. That shouldn't happen. You know, do that in your prayer closet. You know, keep that out of the church and just give everybody coffee and donuts and nice chairs and just lull them into a, you know, lull them, entertain them, do all this stuff. And that's what you need to do to draw crowds and attract all these people and put those that desire to pursue all these things into a back room because they think God never meant for these things to happen out in front of the lost people because it's going to turn off the lost people. That's what they think. The Bible gives us such a different picture, though, about what a winning church is. See, the Bible tells us that, 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 that the church 
openly prayed in tongues in front of crowds of people. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people got saved. You find me any of these Walmart churches where 3,000 people are getting saved like that. It's not going to happen. But 3,000 are saved when the Holy Spirit shows up and the gifts are released on people's lives. 3,000 are saved. I could do that. that. Wouldn't you like to see that here? Why not? Holy Spirit, draw them. You know, listen, this has happened throughout history and it's happening in places all around the world right now where the Holy Spirit is drawing crowds of people and there's mass conversions and mass salvations, mass deliverance. I want to see that. They healed the sick in public places in Acts chapter 3. They cast out devils in business atmospheres in Acts chapter 16. And all of this while seeing nothing but the church growing exponentially. It's opposite of what we're seeing and hearing today. The fastest growing churches in the world are seeing these same things. While the church in America, for the most part, we've become ashamed and we've become embarrassed of the Holy Spirit. And this is why churches are closing their doors by the thousands in this country. And I'll take, I'm going to take my chances of doing it the Bible way. I'll take my chances of doing what very successful, amazing places around the world are doing and seeing rather than what the average Joe Blow church in America is doing and, and not seeing today. I'll take my chances on the Word of God where people are Holy Spirit sensitive rather than seeker sensitive and they see masses come to salvation. They are the winning church. And that is the winning formula. That's the winning method. The top, top thing you need to be is Holy Spirit sensitive as a church. It's what Jesus said would, be, would make a winning church. These are the things that Jesus said that if you do these things, it's going to set apart his church. Mark chapter 16, I read this earlier. Verse 17, 18, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will have Starbucks coffee in the foyer. And they will all have very comfortable chairs with good air conditioning. The temperature will never raise above 75 degrees Fahrenheit. In the wintertime, the parking lot will always be snow covered, snow cleared, and everybody will be comfortable. Does it say that? And the visitors won't get freaked out. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. They will drink. They will, if they drink any daily poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. We need to be spirit sensitive, church. We need to be a spirit sensitive because Jesus told us this is how we're going to be a winning church. Matthew chapter 10 7 and 8, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without paying. Am I against coffee? No, it's awesome. Am I against being a comfortable place for visitors? No. Am I, am I against having the church temperature never go above 75? No, please don't make it above 75. I don't do well with it. I'm a wimp. I'm Scandinavian and we don't like hot places. So please, I'm all for those things. I'm all for coffee. Get the best coffee. I don't care. Go for it. Probably here is probably Folgers. I don't know because it's more cost effective. But if you want to donate to a coffee fund and get the best coffee out there, go for it. I love it. And if your gifting is to make people feel comfortable, you want to just pour it out, do it. I'd love it. We'd love it. 
But that's not going to cut it to rest on that and rely on that. That's sad. That is pathetic. We need to have the attitude of Moses when the Lord said, don't even bother sending me. If you're not going to go before me, don't even send me. Don't even bother sending us up from this place. Sandy, can you come on up? Listen to me. We're living in a postmodern, post-Christian society. It, I mean, it's time we get our game face on, guys. We need to have a heart that says, God, we need you to show up and show out. That is our only hope around this place. Don't let people tell you that your friends and neighbors are going to be put off by the supernatural because, listen to me, your friends and neighbors are flocking to the supernatural. They are flocking to the supernatural. Our culture in America is flocking to the supernatural. Look at the top blockbuster movies. You know what's dealing with? The supernatural. This person got haunted, that person haunting of this one, possession of that one, demon this, demon that, hell this, hell that. Superpower this, superpower that, supernatural. That's what they're flocking to. Look at the ratings. Vampires and psychic phenomenon, witchcraft, all demonic, all counterfeit garbage. I just want to read this article to you from Newsweek article. This is Newsweek, November 18, 2018. It says, the number of witches and, and Americans practicing Wicca Religious rituals increased dramatically since the 1990s, with several recent studies indicating there may be at least 1.5 million witches across the country. A Trinity Bible College, uh, Trinity College study conducted in 1990 estimated that there was only about 8,000 Wiccans in the U.S. That was in 1980, only 8,000 in, in, in 1990. Or, yeah. But, the, but, but they've increased now. The increase has been led by a rejection of mainline, mainstream Christianity among young Americans as well as a rise in occultism. So in 1990, there's 8,000. Today, there's at least 1.5 million. That is an increase of 18,650% if you do the math and you can check it. And Olivia can check me on that one. 18,000% growth. But yet the church in America is shrinking. And we're avoiding the things that they're drawn to. What would happen if we stopped the nonsense and we got serious about being serious about the presence and the power, the real thing? Could we see an 18,000% increase? Crazy. Listen to this. With 1.5 million Potential practicing witches across the U.S. Witchcraft has more followers than the 1.4 million mainline members of the Presbyterian Church. Who, by the way, do not encourage signs and wonders and miracles and think they're not for today. Just by the way. We have the real, authentic, powerful deal in the Holy Spirit. Why are we shying away from this? 
culture and the world are hungry for it. And they're wanting it. But they're getting tricked because why? The church is standing back worrying about counting butts in the seat. And we're not worrying about the lost. We're not worrying about taking the authentic gospel out there to people. We're not worried about confronting them with the power of the Holy Spirit because we're embarrassed of it. We've become too, we've become too westernized. We've become too philosophical. We've become too high and mighty. And we're embarrassed of the Holy Spirit. When the world is hungering after the supernatural, we are going away from the supernatural. And I'm saying, if we want to be a winning church, we better get on the supernatural. We better start seeing signs and wonders and miracles. Because that's what, our, that's, what they're, that's what they're wanting to experience. And we have it. We have the real thing. We have the genuine. They can have the genuine encounter with the genuine power that really sets them free, that really heals them, that really turns their life around. We have it. We have it. We must become spirit sensitive. Spirit sensitive. Here's what I want us to do, church. This isn't in here, but this is a part of it. A winning church is a praying church. Jesus said, my house will be called the house of prayer. He did not say my house would be the house of preaching. He did not say it would be the house of teaching or the house of worship. He said, my house will be the house of prayer. A winning church needs to be a praying church. We need to be praying and seeking God. We need to be calling upon the Lord. And I want us to do that this morning. I want to invite you to join me this morning and just calling out to Jesus and take some time. And Sandy's going to lead us in a song. And I want you just to call upon the Lord. Call upon the Lord that he would pour out his spirit in this place like never before. Would you join me in believing God, not just, not just coming pathetically before him and saying, oh, wouldn't that be nice? But I, would you just with me declare an unprecedented move of God in this place? You have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Everyone who seeks shall find. Stand with me this morning, church. If you're visiting here this morning, you know what? This is, this is who we are. We are a praying church. We're, we're a church that believes in these things. You took your chances getting here, and God bless you for being here this morning. We love you. And your hope for your life is Jesus. And we're serious about it. We're serious about this stuff because it's life-changing, life-altering, life-transformation. And that's what we want. That's what we're hungry for. We are not against any other church. Please don't walk away saying, man, he really doesn't like Presbyterians. Please don't leave here thinking that way. That is not my point. I'm not comparing. I'm just saying, as me and my house, this house... We will serve the Lord. We are doing it this way. That's all we're saying. This is who we're going to be because we're going to be a winning church and this is what it means to be a winning church. And if that's not for you, bless you. We love you. 
we love you. We absolutely do. But when you have cancer, when you have a child who's sick, when you're going through something really, really horrible and really awful, you do not want someone showing you up to your house and saying, well, you know, that's not really for today. And, you know, if it's God's will and maybe God wants to kill you, I don't know. I'm not sure. You want to have people that say, in Jesus' name, no. Who will believe in faith and pray with you, right? And I'm saying that's who we are. That's who we are. We will love you where you are. You want to come here broken. If you're, if you're a homosexual, if you are an adulterer, if you're messed up, if you're a drug addict, we're the kind of people you want to be with because we don't judge you. We don't condemn you. We know the word of God. Our lives have been changed by the power of Jesus. We believe your life will be changed by the power of Jesus. And that's who we are. So if all of this is way over your head and you're like, you know, this is weird. I don't want anything to do with these Pentecostal crazy people. We love you. We love you. If you need anything, call us anyway, and we still will love you, and we will be there for you. So let's pray, church. Let's just pray. Call on the Lord. God, use your mouth. Come on, just use your mouth. Call on Jesus. Just call on Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to call on him. He loves to hear your voice. Let's just fill this place with our cries. When you're done praying, you can be dismissed to go. That concludes our time here this morning. You're free to go. Just call upon Jesus. Call on him for two seconds. Call him for five seconds. Call him for five minutes. Call him for an hour. Just call upon him. Whatever's on your heart to call upon. Just call upon the Lord. Jesus. Jesus.